Amen. Welcome. I'm going to have you take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles and you can find Luke 22 on page 828. This will be a little bit of a different message tonight. As I'm going to read the text, I'm going to share some thoughts, go back and teach the text, and then we'll take communion together. Luke chapter 22. Verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, The hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it would be who is going to do this. This text reminds us of the most significant event of all time. It's the fulfillment of all that God had foretold through his word, through his prophets. This was a time when a sacrifice for sin would be made once and for all. Jesus, the the spotless lamb of God, would lay down his life as an atoning sacrifice. He would place himself on a sinner's cross. So the question is why? Why would he pay that price? Why would he lay himself down on the cross? Let me give you five reasons. First, the cross is a place of justice. It's a place of justice. The cross satisfies God's requirement for justice. God is a just God. Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. That sin, the sin that we inherit when we are born from our first father, Adam, has created a problem for us. It has separated us from God. And there is nothing we can do to bridge that gap. The justice of God requires that a penalty be paid for our sin. In fact, in the Old Testament, God required that there there would be animal sacrifices. There'd be the shedding of blood to atone for the sins of the people. In fact, uh, Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 
But Romans 3.25, Paul tells us that God sent Jesus to bear his wrath to satisfy God's requirement for judgment. Jesus came into this world to satisfy God's requirement, his just requirement for our sins. In fact, Romans 3.26 tells us that God put forth Jesus as a sacrifice to show that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. The cross is a place where justice is served. When Jesus died on the cross, God was exacting his justice in that moment. But not only is the cross a place of justice, but as Pastor David said earlier, it's a place of love. It's a place where the greatest act of love ever exhibited took place. A familiar verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, in this display of love, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I have three sons. I can't imagine giving one of them for somebody else. Sacrificing my son to save others. God, in the ultimate display of love, sent his son to the cross as a substitute in our place. In fact, we, we saw a little bit of this in 1 Peter a couple weeks ago. 1 Peter 1, or excuse me, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. We are unrighteous. Jesus is righteous. He took our place. Why? That he might bring us to God, that he might bridge that gap in a, a display of love to exact God's justice, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. When you truly understand that act of love, it should forever change how you live out your Christian faith. Because of God's love, instead of receiving God's wrath, we receive mercy, which leads us to the third reason for the cross. The cross is a place for grace and mercy. It is a place of grace and mercy. God didn't have to save anyone. Think about that. God didn't have to save anyone. He could have let us all just suffer. Yet God, being a merciful God, being a grace-filled God, sent his son to take our place. In fact, 2 Peter 2.4 tells us this. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. I think I missed something there. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. That's what we deserved. But God sent Jesus in an act of mercy and an act of grace. 
What is grace? Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve God's wrath for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's grace. We don't deserve it. Let me go back to what I just said. God didn't have to save anyone. He had no obligation. That's why when he offers us salvation, pity the person that doesn't accept it. Without Christ's atoning work, our only hope for salvation is to perfectly keep God's commandments. Think about that. You ever read through the whole Bible? You ever read through all the commandments? How would you like your salvation to be dependent upon you perfectly keeping every single one of those commands? We're all toast. Would you rather stand on Jesus' perfect righteousness before God or try to stand on your very imperfect righteousness? That's why the cross is a place of mercy and of grace. But the cross is also a place of suffering. It's a place of suffering. Christ was without sin. Yet he took our place and he suffered. He paid the penalty for our sins. He suffered in our place. Isaiah 53.10 says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. 700 years prior to the incarnation of Jesus Christ, Isaiah speaks of the Messiah, and it was the will of the Lord to crush him. So if the cross is a place of suffering, what type of suffering did Jesus experience? Well, first he suffered the pain, he suffered pain physically. Jesus, fully man and fully God, experienced real pain. He experienced the pain of being beaten. He experienced the pain of the crown of thorns being crushed on his head. He experienced the pain of being flogged with a cat of nine tails. He experienced the pain of the nails driving through his wrists and through his ankles. Jesus experienced physical pain, but he also suffered the pain of bearing the guilt of our sins. He suffered the pain of bearing the guilt of our sins. In fact, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Have you ever felt guilty or shame when you've sinned? You don't have to raise your hand. But we've all felt that. All of that was placed on Jesus. He felt that in the moment. The father placed that on him. He suffered the pain of bearing the guilt of sin. He suffered the pain uh, physically, but he also suffered the pain of separation from God. 
of being abandoned. In fact, in Matthew 27, verse 46, he says, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some think that he was pointing back to Psalm 22, which speaks of the crucifixion, and he very may well have been. This is the first time he would have been separated from the Father. His suffering satisfied God's requirement for justice. He bore that pain for you and for me. So the, play, the cross is a place of justice. It's a place of love. It's a place of grace and mercy. It's a place of suffering. Finally, the cross is a place of satisfaction. It's a place of satisfaction. Because of Jesus' suffering on the cross, the penalty for our sin has been satisfied. We don't have to suffer eternally. When Jesus cried out, it is finished in John 19.30, he was saying he'd accomplished the Father's will. That he had paid the full penalty for our sins. That's why Romans 8.1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are now set free. There is no condemnation. And we know because of the resurrection that was God saying, I am satisfied with this sacrifice. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you in Christ Jesus? Not do you know about the gospel story. Not do you know about church. But are you in Christ Jesus? Is Christ Jesus in you? Has your sin been atoned for? The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Salvation doesn't happen apart from turning from your sin, that's called repentance, and turning to Jesus Christ. Everything that needs to be done for you to have your sins atoned for has been done. The only thing that is left is by faith turning to Jesus Christ and embracing him as Savior and Lord. Spurgeon said this, without the death of Jesus, nothing remains for us but death. But with Christ, eternal life. So with the cross looming in front of him, Jesus invited his disciples to the table. And that's what we see in Luke chapter 22. He knew what was awaiting him. He wanted them to mark this moment. He wanted them to remember. In a matter of hours, he would die as God's Passover lamb. And so this is why he, this is why he came into the world. But before he dies, he's going to end the Passover that was instituted effectively back in Exodus chapter 13 and 14, and he initiates the first communion, the 
the Lord's Supper. And we see that here. Look again at verse 14. When the hour had come, God's appointed hour, all of redemptive history is moving into this point. He reclined at table and the apostles with him. It was just him and the 12. And he said to them, you can just imagine him looking, saying, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. This is in the emphatic. His death was imminent. The motions must have been overwhelming. This is a monumental moment. He says in verse 17, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. He may have taken a cup, and maybe they had little cups around him. Maybe they poured it in. We don't know. But then he started to talk about the elements. He starts with the bread. We see that in verse 19. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The question I have, did they really comprehend that this bread that they were ready to take was going to represent from that time forward Jesus' body broken on the cross for them. Jesus wants them to remember. He doesn't want them to forget. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. The bread, the unleavened bread, during the Passover, it represented their affliction. It was known as the bread of affliction in the Passover. But now this bread would represent a broken body, Jesus's broken body. Now, it's not actually his body. It represents his body. Notice he's speaking of the substitutionary death. Notice, notice what he says in verse 19. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. I'm going to substitute my body. My body is going to be broken, so yours doesn't have to be. Hallelujah. <laughs> then he goes to the cup. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying... This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. For centuries, millions of innocent lambs had been slain. Their blood shed as a picture of, of their sins being atoned for. Each year, they would, the, the Jews would make their pilgrimage up to Israel, up to Jerusalem. The shedding of the blood would be for the forgiveness of their sins. This was the cup of wrath that was laid upon them or that, that he took. He says, he says, and likewise, the cup after they eat and saying, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. 
But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is, is with me on the table. He's speaking of the fact that, that Judas would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. God's wrath would be poured out. And this new covenant is the only covenant that saves. In fact, let me just put up Jeremiah chapter 31. The prophet Jeremiah says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me for the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more because the blood of the lamb has covered their sin. That is the new covenant. The shedding of Jesus's blood satisfied God's wrath. And so Jesus invited his disciples to the table to teach him these truths, truths that we're to remember even today. He invites us to the table and he says, do this in remembrance of me. So now I want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As we get ready to take the elements. First Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is instructing the church about taking the elements. We saw back in Luke chapter 20, Jesus actually instituting the Lord's Supper. And now Paul continues to teach it to the church and we continue to teach it. In verse 23, he says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. He's passing it on. He says that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. The Lord's Supper, it looks back to what Christ did on the cross, but it's the same as the Passover. When a child would ask his father, why do we do this every year? Jewish families, even today, like, why do we do the Passover each year? And they'd sit down and they would recount the story of the Exodus, of God delivering his people out of bondage, of taking a lamb, shedding its blood, putting the blood on the lentils in the doorposts of their house. And the children asked, well, why did you do that? And they would respond, because we were slaves in Egypt. We were in bondage and God sent his angel and he provided a way of escape for us. The death angel passed over our homes. But because we were under the blood, the death angel passed over us. In Christ, because of the shed blood of Christ, the death angel passes over us. We don't have to die an eternal death. But we're, walk, we're raised to walk in newness of life. 
Jesus' blood shed on the cross does the same for us today. Protects us from the death angel. We who were slaves were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And like the Passover, look back to God's redemption in Egypt. The Lord's Supper looks back to Jesus' redemptive work on the cross for us. But it also looks forward. So what we're going to do is now we're going to take the elements. And as we do, this is an opportunity to reflect. Now, first of all, let me just say this. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. I'll never forget when I was in college and I went with a friend to a church, a Catholic church, and they started taking communion. I said, I guess I'll just go. That would be an affront to God because I wasn't in Christ. It's a time to remember Jesus' body broken, his blood shed. It's for believers. And when you take this, be reminded of Jesus' words where he says, I've earnestly desired to take this with you. 